1 John chapter number 2. And we'll be in verses 12, 13, and 14. And so once you have found those verses, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word. 1 John chapter 2. Let's begin in verse 12. The Bible says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Uh, this is an interesting way of laying out these truths. Um, uh, I, just quickly here, as an 11th grade or 12th grade boy, I don't remember which, uh, my family had moved to Baltimore, and uh, we were part of a Homes or a Christian school where we had a fourth through twelfth grade all in the same room, and every morning we would stand and we would quote uh, sections of First John. I believe we went through the whole book that uh, year as part of our homeroom type setup. I don't remember which one of you that was. One of the two of them were uh, were help, helping us memorize uh, these verses, uh, but I remember reading or memorizing these verses, First John two twelve through fourteen, and thinking, "What in the world does that even mean?" And so tonight we're going to take this knot of truth and we're going to uh, seek to, to, uh, to undo it, uh, to straighten out the knot and have a really good understanding of what these verses mean. The title of the message is this, A Lifelong Journey with Jesus. A Lifelong Journey with Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, help us tonight to uh, uh, grasp the truths in our head, but Lord, more importantly, to leave determined to live them with our heart. Uh, too many churches are filled with too many people who know the truth, but they're not living the truth. And Lord, uh, oftentimes I'm guilty of that in my life. Help us not to be guilty of that. Help us to have a head knowledge and then go forth with a heart, uh, heart desire to live it. And so, Lord, um, uh, help us this evening to leave uh, knowing that um, uh, there's a path ahead of us where we can be better, where we can do better, where we can walk uh, more carefully with you. And help us determine uh, this evening, Lord, to do just that, to live a life, a Christian life, to walk that journey with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, the first book of 1 John has, has challenged, has been a challenge to study. Uh, I, I love to read and study the Bible. Uh, I love to outline the Bible. I love to alliterate the Bible. Uh, I had a child come to me a while back and say, Pastor, I love that your sermons are so illiterate. <laughs> and I said, I, I guess he'd overheard his parents speaking about my outlines being alliterated. And, and I said, well, I, I hope they're not illiterate. Um, uh, but uh, I, I love to alliterate. You all know that. Uh, that, that's, uh, that helps me. Uh, to be able to put this together, and I've done a lot of books of the Bible. I have studied personally lots of books of the Bible. I have preached through uh, books of the Bible. I've never had a book challenge me in study quite like First John. It is written uh, just from a completely different style. I would call uh, the style God used through John, I would call it unconventional. The first half of the book is themed by the thought that God is light. 
God is light. And the second half of the book is themed around the thought that God is love. And so uh, I have come to the, this realization is studying out this book that at the center of the first half of the book is God is light, kind of like the, the center of a bicycle wheel. And then all the truths that come out of that are like spokes on the bicycle wheel. They all branch out in a way, but come back into this truth that God is light. And that same pattern holds true to God is love. So everything we study in the first half of the book is connected to this truth that God is light. Now, last week we looked at uh, the strong ultimatum that God gave to the Christian. Look with me at uh, 1 John chapter 2 and look at verse 9. What we're going to see here is that in order to walk with God, in order to walk in God's light, we have to live in God's system of love. You cannot live in God's light and not love. You cannot love God's way without walking in the light. And so look at 1 John chapter 2 verse 9. He that saith that he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. And so what do these verses tell us? Well, they tell us that to walk in God's light is to walk in God's love. However, to the other side of the coin, to contrast that, to walk in darkness is to walk in hatred. If I hate my brother, uh, I had a Christian tell me this this week as we looked at uh, this or we were talking about this topic. They said God's bar for hatred is quite low. It isn't uh, just, I, I want to kill you or, or I, I wish you were dead. No, it's, it's much lower than that. A disdain, a disgust, a, a I can't stand that person. It is God's standard of hatred. And when we walk in hatred, when we have a spirit of hatred towards someone who is a brother or sister in Christ, the Bible says we are walking in darkness. We are stumbling in the dark. We are walking blindly. So to tie this together... With the series from a Sunday morning, the properties of God's love. Uh, remember, a, a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at how that love is chased. We said there are two choices on the shelf. What what are they? Loving God or loving self. Loving God or loving self. If I love God, if I love God, uh, then naturally I will want my entire life lived in God's light. If I truly love God, then I want everything to be out in the open. I, I don't want to live with shadows where sin can thrive. And that's where sin thrives is in the shadows where no one else can see. Uh, I, I don't want to be at a place where no one knows about this corner of my life or that corner of my life. I want it all out in the light. Uh, 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 sometimes uh, Christians are guilty of putting on the appearance of light living while out in front, but secretly when they're away from church, they're away from church leadership, they're away from even family, they have this corner of their heart and life that's darkness and sin is thriving there. Now, uh, there's a term that uh, is used in society to describe somebody like this. It's two-faced. Two-faced. We know who two, we know what a two-faced person is, right? They'll smile to your face and then they'll stab you in the back. You ever met someone like that? 
I had a job uh, on Mace Avenue in Essex, Maryland at a snowball stand. Now, we don't have snowball stands up here. I wish we did. If we did, I'd probably be about 30 pounds heavier. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's shaved ice. It's kind of like Rita's, but better. And uh, they put marshmallow in the middle, and you can get it put on the bottom, like a marshmallow cream. It's amazing. Anyway, I was 16, and I got a job there at this uh, 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 snowball stand. And this woman named Gina, she's probably in her 40s, uh, I worked with her. I remember that it was right about the time the show Survivor uh, just started on TV. It was maybe in its first couple of seasons. And I had to sit there and listen to her talk about Survivor uh, day after day after day with his job. And Gina was so nice to my face. One day I was working with the boss and uh, the boss was there with me and she was watching me. And, and, and I just felt like I was being observed and critiqued a little bit harder than usual and she corrected me on a couple of things, and, and, uh, and she said to me, um, I have thought about letting you go. And I said, well, why? Now, I have a strong work ethic. I, I, I've been taught a strong work ethic since I was a boy. She said, well, someone you work with has come to me and says that she thinks you deserve to be fired uh, because you're not doing, she says, you're not doing this, this, and this. And she says, I don't see that in you. I pressed her and pressed her. Who is it that's telling you this? And she wouldn't uh, tell me. There were enough people that worked there where I couldn't quite uh, pin down and figure it out. After Gina quit, she told me Gina was the one. Gina was one thing to my face, very kind and sweet. And she was stabbing me hard in the back. Two-faced. There's a Bible term for someone who tends to live in the light while having sin that thrives in the darkness. And the Bible turn is this. It's being double-minded. Double-minded. A double-minded man is what? Unstable. Unstable in all his ways. All his ways. The Bible tells us in James, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Ye double-minded. I got to be honest. I have been guilty of much of my Christian life. Not intentionally, but I've been guilty of being double-minded. Double-minded. I will take it a step deeper. I have been guilty of being double-hearted. Double-hearted. Where my heart is all... All, all out for God while I'm serving God on Sunday. And then by Tuesday or Wednesday, my heart is into sin and doing wrong and being selfish and proud. I want to live in the light here and then I want to live in the darkness over here. And I want to have it both ways. And God says you can't. You can't. Now, remember that the theme is living in God's light. That is the theme of the first half of the book. John goes on to contrast from 12 to 14, living in the light, with living in the darkness, verse 15, down through uh, over the next several verses. And so this week, we're going to look at what it looks like. To live in God's light, not just for a few days, not just for a few weeks, not even for just a year or two. What does it look like, Christian, when you walk in the light long term? How does that develop? What 1 John 2, 12 through 14 does, it lays out for us what the Christian life looks like and becomes as we learn to live in the light. And then next week, we're going to look at what happens to us when we walk away from the light 
and in the darkness. And so John lays out for us uh, uh, three different groups of people uh, and three different stages, if you will, uh, of Christian living, of light living. So let's take a journey with the light, the Lord Jesus Christ, and look at two concepts of, of uh, this evening of learning to walk in the light or a lifelong journey with Jesus. Number one, notice the levels of the Christian life, the levels of the Christian life. We're going to spend most of the time this evening in point number two. We're going to rush through point one. We're going to get to point two and we're going to put on the brakes. So don't get too excited when we get to point two in about five minutes. Okay. Uh, point number one, uh, the levels of the Christian life. Notice letter A, little children. Little children. Uh, now, the, the, the root word for little children in verse 12 and the root word for little children in verse 13 are two different words, two different Greek words, both translated into little children. And what it would mean today in, 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 in our, in our English language, or rather another way it could have been translated is, is, uh, uh, is little born ones, little born ones. Look with me at verse 12. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Uh, look at, uh, at verse 13. I write unto you, fathers, because you've known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you've overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the father. So a little child in Christ or a little born one is someone who's only been saved just a very short time. Or someone who has just been saved, or rather has been saved for a long time, but has never grown in the Lord. Has never grown in the Lord. I have known white-haired men and women who've been going to church for 30 or 40 years who are still babes in Christ. And uh, I, I believe we have them here at our church. And you have to make sure that you are growing. By the way, that second little, chi- little children there uh, is a reference to someone who is immature in the Lord. Immature in the Lord. That first one is sort of categorical to everyone who is saved. Uh, that second one is someone who has been saved but just never grown. John chapter 13 verse 33. Jesus calls his disciples little children. We looked at this verse this morning. Little children, yet a little while uh, I, I am with you. Ye shall see me and I, uh, and as I said uh, uh, unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you. We didn't look at that verse specifically, but we looked at that passage. John 13. Jesus Jesus called his disciples little children, little children. And so this is someone who has been saved uh, or someone who has been saved and never grown. Letter B, notice young men, young men. Uh, While these titles are male in nature, they refer to all Christians, both male and female, who have reached a point of adolescence in Christ, adolescence in Christ. And so uh, you see a child go from being a, a baby, say, in our nursery. And I love watching our babies grow up. I love to see it. Uh, children that I dedicated when I first got here are now leaving the nursery and entering the uh, the uh, uh, Brother Andres' class. And uh, we'll blink and they'll be entering the youth group and then we'll blink again. And uh, they'll be graduating high school. We'll blink again and they'll be graduated from college and getting married and it doesn't go uh it doesn't take very long does it uh, but that young man category that adolescent category this is describing someone uh in Christ anywhere who's been saved or has grown uh into uh, the beginning of being able to read the bible and understand it for themselves all the way up to someone who's still in their in their strength of life they're 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 they're, they're still strong in body and in mind look with me at first john chapter 2 verse 13 i write unto you fathers 
because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. Look here, I write unto you, young men, because ye are strong. Uh, young men, young men. This is uh, this describes someone who has grown uh, enough to where they can begin. You begin to see some uh, development in them, some changes. I was looking at um, uh, Samuel Ademirican the other day, and I and I told uh, his mom and dad he's beginning to lose the baby face. He, he's he's turning into a little boy. And I remember my wife and I went to the hospital up at Stanford and held him as a newborn, and now that's beginning to fall off. And then I look at uh, my son and or my daughter or little Hannah Syred up here sitting next to my daughter. I remember when I first got her, Hannah still had some baby in her, and now she's a, a, just a fine young lady. And you see this happen. And by the way, as you keep going to church and you keep growing in the Lord, it ought to be that some of that baby in Christ is beginning to fall off and you're beginning to develop in the Lord. Um, uh, you say, well, pastor, it's hard and, and pastor, it's difficult. I remember my brother James, when he was a baby, they gave him a bowl of spaghetti and the spaghetti ended up on the floor. The sauce ended up on his face and the bowl ended up on his head. And the fork was nowhere to be found. I don't know if he swallowed it or threw it across the room, but it was gone. And uh, those that know James would, would really think that's funny. But um, uh, uh, eventually he learned how to pick up a fork and put spaghetti in his mouth and not make a mess. He had to develop teeth. He had to develop the motor skills. And as a Christian, the longer you do this, there ought to be some motor skills that are developed. Letter C, or rather first, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 9. Listen to this verse. Rejoice, O young men, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart, and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. He says here, embrace your youth. Embrace it. Enjoy it. Uh, Live it to its fullest. Uh, uh, But remember, while you're out having fun, and while you're out laboring, and while you're you're out uh, uh, spending that energy that just seems to uh, never be deplenished. Remember, one day you're going to give an account to God. One day there's going to be a day of reckoning. There's going to be that judgment that where you will answer to God for what you did for with that strength. Uh, letter C, notice the third level of Christian, the Christian life is fathers. Fathers. And again, these are male in nature, but apply to both male and female. Go back to 1 John chapter 2. Look at verse 13. I write unto you... Fathers. Look down at verse 14. I have written unto you fathers. Fathers. Now, uh, uh, this would be someone who has been saved a long time. Uh, they have had a chance to go through the process of being a baby and then being a, a young adult a, or a, an adolescent and a young adult in the Lord. And they have grown to a place uh, where they have experienced the Christian life, their faith has been tested and tried to the fullest, and they know uh, they're now what Proverbs would describe as a hoary head or a gray-headed male or female. Now, that, do, that doesn't mean that just because someone has gray hair that they're wise. Uh, I, I don't mean this toward anybody in the room. I don't think this applies to anybody in the room. But uh, I've met plenty of gray-haired people that, you know, they, they're just babes in the Lord. Um, uh, but, uh, again, the example would be someone who's been saved and at this long enough to where they have the proverbial gray head. Um, uh, one of the things I help, try to help people understand 
is I'm only 36 years old. And I don't want to make the sermon about me, but I'll just throw this in here real quick. I'm only 36 years old. I am a young man. I am a young man. But I have been saved for 32 years. And so in Christ, comparatively so, I'm not really that young in the Lord. I've been at this a long time. And uh, I, I believe God has, has given me a chance to, to grow in Him and develop and strengthen my faith. Sometimes God will even, depending on what He's called you to, He'll put you in the fast track and He'll run you through trials uh, that are difficult because He's trying to grow you in a way that, that, uh, that is uh, uh, maybe expressed a little bit or in the express lane a little bit. But you see here uh, the, the stages. Let me add one thing and then we'll move on to point number two. Um, I heard uh, uh, Brother Hiles say this years ago, and I don't quote Brother Hiles a lot or talk about him much, but uh, Jack Hiles was the founder of Hiles Anderson College where I graduated from, and uh, he took First Baptist Church from uh, six, six, 700 people, and it became the largest Sunday school in America back in the uh, 1970s, late 60s or 70s, and, and uh, made it into a, a mega-type church. And uh, he wrote this in a book. I don't know that this is in the Bible. It probably isn't, but uh, he wrote this in a book, and I want to try to take the principle and apply it here. Um, he said this, he said, I, I, when I left childhood, I, 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 I went, moved on to adolescence, and then adolescence into adulthood. And he said this, he said, while I don't want to act childish, I always want to have some child in my heart. And then I move into the teen years, and while I might leave the teen years, I might leave acting immature, but I always want to be a teenager somewhere in my heart. I want to add to my childhood teenage years. I want to add to my teenage years adulthood, and I want to be able to, to, to take the best and be all to all people. Let me say this tonight about this. I, in Christ, I always want to have that childlike faith. I want to be that little child in the Lord. I don't ever want to stop being that little child in the Lord. When I've been saved 40 and 50 and 60 years, perfectly 70, 80 years, however long the Lord uh, allows me to live on earth and be a Christian, I don't ever want to lose that childlike faith. I don't ever want to stop being a child in the Lord. That young man attitude. We're going to look at that in a minute. And wherever you are on the scale, we'll get into the nitty gritty here in a minute. But wherever you are on the scale, add to that and build on top of that. Don't leave one behind and don't thumb your nose or look down at people who aren't where you are in the Lord. We looked at number one, the levels of the Christian life. Notice number two, the ladder of the Christian life. Boy, this message this evening will be a chance for you to identify where you are in different areas of your life and and strive to move on to the next step. And so uh, below we have an A, B and a C. And uh, I'm going to give you two different words on each letter. So letter A will have two words. Letter B will have two words, and then obviously letter C will as well. And so I'll give them to you one at a time. Uh, uh, under the ladder of the Christian life, let's first break down what John here is saying about little children. Notice letter A, or step one, forgiven. forgiven. Look back at First uh, John chapter 2 and verse number 12. Look here, it says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. What is the qualifier to be a child in Christ? You have to have had your sins forgiven. You have to be saved. Now, what does that mean? Just quickly here, to be saved means that you have gone to God 
And you have said, I am a sinner. I have broken the laws of God. I deserve the punishment for my sin. And Jesus, I am calling on you to forgive my sins. Picture it this way. If you were to rob a store or rob a bank and you were to stand in court for that and the evidence was presented and you were clearly guilty and someone else were to step in and say, I'll I'll suffer on their behalf. That's what Jesus did. He stepped into the courtroom and he said, I'll suffer on their behalf. And Jesus died on the cross, not just so we could talk about it, not just so we could have jewelry or home decor. Jesus died on a cross so that my sins could be forgiven. And so what is the first qualifier to be a little child in Christ? Your sins must have been forgiven. For me, that day was April 8th, 1988. I was four years old. I was sitting on the front pew of Central Baptist Church on this side of the auditorium in Hattiesburg, Mississippi on a Sunday evening at the end of the service during the invitation. I sat there and with tears running down my little four-year-old cheeks, I called on the name of the Lord and he forgave me. You cannot be a child of God unless that's happened. And so uh, John chapter 3, for sake of time, we're not going to read the whole passage, but John chapter 3, verse 1 through 7, we see a grown man who is a religious man named Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus by night, and he wants to know more about Jesus. And Jesus just opens right up with the gospel and says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God, or he cannot, uh, let's see, or he cannot, yeah, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is confused by the analogy. He says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter uh, the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto you, or surely, surely, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. He cannot enter. And he goes on to say, that which is born of a water birth is uh, a, a is a physical birth and then that which is born of the spirit is spirit and so we must be born anew in jesus christ there was a day where i was forgiven of my sin and i became a little child in the lord i don't want to go a step further in the message without encouraging or inviting you to do the same this truly, this sermon has no, moving forward, if you've not asked the Lord to forgive your sins, the rest of the sermon, as far as the way you're living right now, will be totally unapplicable. This sermon is for those who have been saved. And so I would like to just say, if you're here tonight and you don't know for sure you're going to heaven, my friend, it's just really simple. You need to understand that you're a sinner and that God punishes sin by sending those who are in sin to a place called hell and that Jesus wants to save you or rescue you from that sin. If we were out together on Long Island Sound out here and I fell in the water and didn't know how to swim and you threw me a life raft, I would say, save me, rescue me. You throw me a life raft and you would pull me out of the water. You would save my life. Now, I know how to swim and we're not in the Long Island Sound, but can I tell you something? We're all swimming in the ocean of sin. And until we ask the Lord Jesus Christ to throw us the life raft of salvation, we're going to die in that sin. You need to be able to look back in your mind and heart at a time. You don't need to know the date. You don't even need to know uh, all the details. But you do need to remember a time in your life where you said, Lord, I'm drowning in my sin. Save me. And you called on him and trusted in the cross and his resurrection from the dead to save you. Uh, Notice here, forgiven. Notice the second word here, and that would be familiar. 
familiar. Go back with me to 1 John chapter 2 and look at verse 13. He says there at the very, very end of the verse, look at the end of verse 13. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. Ye have known the Father. Now, uh, what does that mean? He, that means you're in a new family. You're in a new family. Uh, John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. There was a day where I left the family of this world, the family of the devil, and I was adopted anew into the family of Christ. I got a new father. Uh, Ephesians 1.5 puts it this way, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. I was adopted. I love the Patch the Pirate song. I'm adopted. Hallelujah. I found a new song. I'm adopted. Hallelujah. I finally belong. I've got a brand new family overflowing with love. I'm adopted. I'm a child of the king. I'm a child of the king. There was a day I was adopted and I received a new father. And you know what? I have spent the last 32 years becoming more and more familiar with my new father. Romans 8:15, uh, maybe my favorite verse about this says this, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Daddy, Abba, Father. We we call on the Lord. He is our Father. He is our dad. And so, little children, listen, you, this may be where you're at right now. And, and I would tell you this, embrace the process. Don't be dissatisfied with where you are. You've only been saved a few weeks or a few months. Maybe you have wasted away years of being saved and not grown. Look, embrace where you are and make the best of it and enjoy the journey. But uh, uh, to be a child of God, you are forgiven and you need to become familiar with your new father. Let's look at steps three and four. And these would apply to young men. So we're going up the ladder, rung by rung. Rung three or step three, notice the word fighter. Fighter. Look back with me at 1 John chapter 2. And look at verse 13. I write unto you fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. Let's look at the next part of the verse. I write unto you young men. Why? Because ye have overcome the wicked one. Ye have overcome the wicked one. Look down at verse 14. Again, I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men. Why? Because ye are strong. Ye are strong. As a child grows in adolescence, every bit of him is developing strength. Let me just put it to you this way. Wars are not won. Wars are not won by children. At some point, if you're going to be a soldier of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, you're going to be in the Lord's army You can't continue to be a babe in Christ. You have to grow up a little bit. There has to be some things that change in your life. You're going to have to put away some language and some music and some attitudes and some carnal living. There's going to be some real changes that begin to take place in your life. Not forced, not outward changes, but as you walk with God, as you become familiar with the Father and these new house rules, boy, things naturally begin to change. And God begins to say, this needs to go and you need to stop doing this and you need to start doing this. And you say, uh, just as I am, Lord, without one plea, I have decided to follow Jesus, and I'm going to make these changes. And you know what? You begin to develop. You begin to grow. Let me also say this. Wars are not won by little children. They're also not, ground wars are not won by old men. There is a window of, uh, of time in a man's life where he is at his peak to fight in war. Uh, we don't send 48-year-old men to war. 
We send 18 to 28-year-old men to war. And there's an age reached where you just can't keep up anymore. Uh, I love watching sports. Uh, I do. And, and, and I have to try to keep that in moderation. But you'll see uh, an athlete uh, who gets to where he's 30 years old. And he just can't keep up with 19-year-olds anymore, the 20, 21-year-olds anymore. And uh, a guy like, um, uh, well, I'm not going to go there because I, I don't like that athlete. But uh, a guy that's aging and, and doing really well, uh, you look at him and say, are you cheating? I say, yes, he is cheating. Amen. Who are you talking about? Figure it out for yourself. Amen. Um, but uh, uh, people as they age all not be able to, uh, uh, generally cannot keep up with the younger. There is a window of time where you are a young man and you can fight and you, you can war and you can overcome. And there is strength there. And listen, uh, you may be here tonight and you might be in your 60s and, and, and you may, uh, you may uh, not feel like a young man. But in the Lord, you can be a young man. You can fight. You can overcome. The Lord can give you victory. Let me speak to those here this evening that are young in the faith. And let me also speak to those that are young in age. 1 Timothy 4.12 says this, Let no man despise thy youth. Let no man despise thy youth. But be thou an example of the believers. How? In word. That's what we say. In conversation. That's how we live. In charity. That's uh, uh, how we treat others. In spirit. That's our attitude. In faith. Uh, that's our growth in the Lord. And in purity. That covers every aspect of our life that's walking in the light. Let no man despise thy youth. Hey, listen, the Bible has much to say about a young man, a young person. And uh, to those here this evening, whether you are 8, 9 years old, 18, 19 years old, 28, 29 years old, 38, 39 years old, somewhere in that window, the world kind of looks down on you and say, oh, you're just a young whippersnapper. What do you know? It doesn't matter about what you know. It's how you live. And you can go forth and you can show everybody around you how to live a lifestyle that pleases the Lord. Whether you've been saved six months or you've been saved 60 years, you can live this right here. You can overcome the wicked one. You can be a fighter. Romans chapter 8 verse 37 and 38 says this, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors. You know what that is? That's a picture of someone who's going to war. More than conquerors. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 for me. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 25. We quote verse 27 oftentimes. It would be one of those verses you hear quoted a lot in church. I've used it many times in my preaching. I've heard it used much as a child growing up through church. But let's back up to verse 25. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25. And look here, it says, Every man that striveth, that striveth. 1 Corinthians 9, 25. Every man that striveth. This is someone who is putting forth great effort. They're exerting much energy. Striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. There are some things they're giving up. There are some things they're leaving off. There are some things they're dialing back because they're striving for the mastery. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, so fight I, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. You know what he's saying there before we get to the next verse? He's saying, look, I'm not just shadow boxing. I'm not just fighting some uh, imaginary enemy. I'm in a real 
knuckles brawl with the devil and the forces of evil. And, and, and listen, I am fighting the good fight. I am seeking to overcome the wicked one. Look at verse 27. He says, uh, he says, I, I, uh, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway or right should be a castaway. He's saying, listen, I don't want my life to be where I'm up telling others how to live. And then I'm falling into the sin that I'm preaching against. I must strive. As a young man, there ought to be some things in you that says, look, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to fight. I'm a young man in the Lord. I'm a young woman in the Lord. And I'm not going to stand for sin in my life. We, we, uh, we are filled today with the society. Please, 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 especially to those in their 20s here this evening. Let me, let me speak to you for a few minutes. We are, uh, we have a, a church world today where we have folks who are looking for a church that is, uh, that, that has the Bible, but also has a flair of carnality. We want carnality. We, we want to hold on to, uh, uh, we want to hold on to watching shows on TV that don't please the Lord on Saturday and then come to church on Sunday and, and hear the Bible preached and go home and act like it's all good. It's all okay. Now listen, I want to also say this. I don't want to be that guy that stands up here and has to name shows that you need to stop watching or name brands that you need to steer clear of or name clothing types that you shouldn't wear or name artists that you shouldn't listen to. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to walk with the Lord every day and let God show you what needs to change. And let's not have a brand of Christianity that makes us feel good. Let's have a brand of Christianity that overcomes sin. Do you understand sin wants to tear down your life? It wants to destroy you. And the Bible says here that if you're going to climb the rungs of this ladder, you must go from just being forgiven and you must go from just being familiar with, with God your Father and you must step up a notch where you say, I am entering into the battle. I am entering into the fight and I will overcome the wicked one as he tries to lead me into sin. Notice uh, 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 step four on the ladder would be freedom. Freedom under uh, point B. Uh, letter B, rather, fighters, and notice the word freedom. Go back to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 14. I have written unto you, young men. Uh, uh, jump in there with me in the middle of the verse. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong. Look here. And the word of God abideth in you. Oh, now here we see how it works. And ye have overcome the wicked one. How did they overcome the wicked one? The word of God abode in them. How do you overcome the wicked one? The Word of God has got to be in you. It's got to be in you. You must learn to integrate the Bible into your heart. Psalm 119 verse 9 says this, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein. How often? Day and night. That thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. And then thou shalt have good success. How do you have prosperity in life? How do you have good success in the Christian life? How do you find that freedom in Christ? You must learn to meditate in God's word day and night. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where you find uh, uh, the Hebrew, I believe the word is Shema, where they uh, they pray this prayer morning and evening. And, and, and the commander 
to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know what else it says in that passage? Put it on the walls of your house. Write it uh, on your hand so you can see it. Uh, put it as frontlets before your eyes. Talk about it as you're lying down. Talk about it as you're rising up. Talk with your children about it as you're walking along the way or in, in America's terms or 2020 terms as you're riding down the road. Talk about the Bible. Integrate it. Have it abide in you. It ought to be that we're sponges that soak up the Word of God. We can't get enough of it that whoever we bump into, the Word of God just comes flowing out of us. How do you overcome the wicked one? The Word of God has got to be right here. It's got to be abiding in you. It, it has to be the main thing in your life. It has to be more important to you than, than, than any pop culture item or icon or show. Uh, it has to be the main thing. Ephesians chapter 6 describes the Christian's armor for battle. I, I, I love this. And in Ephesians 6, as it talks about the Christian's armor, it lays out the helmet of salvation and, uh, and girding, uh, girding yourself, girding uh, the, the loins of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and your, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. It goes through all of these elements that are for defense and it gives us one weapon, only one weapon for offense. What is that weapon? Ephesians six seventeen says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is what? It's the word of God. Hey, why does not God give us more weapons? Because we don't need but one. The word of God is so powerful. The word of God is so capable. God says, I'm only going to give you one weapon. Now, as a young man in the Lord, you're going into battle to fight against the forces of sin and Satan and overcome bad habits in your life and, and, and grow and, and not only the sins of commission, but the sins of omission. You're looking to add to uh, doing things the Lord would have you to do. As you're adding uh, uh, those things, you become more and more familiar with your weapon. If, if, uh, if I would have uh, thought of this sooner, I would have put a video up on the screen of a soldier taking his gun apart and putting it back together in seconds. You know why there's some these guys are able to do this? They can take it apart, unjam it, and put it back together in seconds because they've taken time to become familiar with their weapon. How familiar are you with your weapon, Christian? You see, we, we say, well, I can't overcome this sin. Have you taken the time to do a Bible study on that? Have you taken the time to ask the Lord to show you and give you that help? Listen, this book is many, many things. It is a book of do's and don'ts. It's also a love letter from heaven. But Christian, it is your weapon in war. It is your weapon against sin and darkness and Satan. And we must become familiar with it. Uh, now, I put down the word freedom there because here's the truth. As I learn to overcome sin, I am learning to find a new freedom in Christ. As I learn to walk away from sin, I'm walking away from Satan's bondage. Satan is really, really good at lying to us. Are you all with me still this evening? Amen? Satan's really good at lying to us. He tells us, here's what he tells us. Oh, you don't want to be a Christian. Because those Christians have so many rules. And all those rules restrict you. And it's just not fun. 
I mean, uh, you can't go here and you can't do this and you can't uh, put this in your body and you can't wear that and you can't act in this way and you can't go uh, uh, clubbing and partying. and it, it, It's just, it, 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 to, to be a Christian, uh, that, that's boring and you're going to miss out. I have to tell you that uh, I have more fun as a Christian than the world could ever have. Because what I have found is that when I live by God's rules... What God gives me is freedom. You know what? I can sit on my couch and I can watch a sporting event and I can drink the beverages I drink and wake up in the morning with no hangover. Not one. Uh, I don't, I, I'm not, I've never been addicted to a substance and I don't have to deal with a fallout of that. Uh, uh, I've only uh, uh, been romantic with one woman in my life and that is my wife to God's glory. Some of you are not able to say that, but you're pure with you, your spouse or uh, 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 now or you're, you're being celibate now. Praise the Lord for purity. Amen. Whether you were in the past or not, you are now. But I have not lived a life of, uh, of, of hurt and regret and I praise the Lord uh, uh, for those decisions and there is freedom found as a young man or young woman in the Lord when you stand up with your sword of the spirit and you fight to overcome the wicked one. Let's move on and look at the last group here. And this would be fathers. Notice uh, about fathers under letter C, this would be the fifth step or the fifth rung on the ladder. Notice fruitful. Fruitful. Look at 1 John chapter 2. In verse 13, he says there, I write unto you, fathers. Verse 14, I have written unto you, fathers. Now, we're going to look at what he says to the fathers in a minute. But I just want to stop and make this observation. By the very definition of the word father, we understand that this is someone who has been around long enough to spiritually reproduce or duplicate himself. That is what a father is. If I didn't have children, I wouldn't be a father. You all with me tonight? Uh, uh, There are a lot of people that are 36 years old and haven't had children. And they may be as smart as me. They may be as capable in life as me. uh, But if they haven't had children, they're not a father. Right? Uh, I have been fruitful. And I have uh, uh, been part of the process of putting other human beings on the earth. Uh, And God wants you spiritually to do the same. This is someone who has gone through the process of being a little born one and has moved on through spiritual adolescence and into spiritual adulthood. They have been forgiven of their sin and salvation. They have become familiar with their Abba Father and his family. They have overcome the wicked one or won spiritual battles against personal sin. And they have experienced a newfound freedom living within spiritual boundaries. But beyond that, they have learned the heartbeat of our Savior and have taken their calling to the Great Commission seriously. They have been, uh, they have seen sinners saved. I want to know this evening, uh, don't raise your hand, but I, want, I wonder how many of you this evening have ever had the privilege of leading someone to become a Christian. Don't raise your hand, but I want you to stop and ask yourself this question. Have I ever led someone to become a Christian? Now, um, if you're, you've only been saved a few weeks or a few months, uh, that sounds like a scary, daunting task. I understand that. I'm not trying to rush you to being a father. You need to be a little child, and then you need to work on being a young man or young woman in the Lord, and you will advance to the spot where that will be a lot easier for you. Can I tell you what a lot of Christians do? They plateau. They plateau. Christian, I know this gets preached on a lot. 
I know that Pastor Pezlak really preached on this a lot. I know Pastor Brown preached on it, uh, and I know I've preached on it. Soul winning is a biblical command. It is our duty to share. I want you to just stop and think this, uh, think through this for me. 2,000 years ago or so, Jesus Christ lived. He gave the Great Commission to the 12 disciples. And here we are 2,000 years later. Do you know how many people took the Great Commission seriously in order for us to be here 2,000 years later? Aren't you glad there were people who decided to obey? Hey, do you know that if, if the Lord's coming back isn't for another four, five, six, seven hundred years, a thousand years, boy, we better do our part to make sure we're preaching the gospel. We better be fruitful. We better be faithful. And so who is a father? It's someone who has led someone to Christ. But beyond just seeing them bow their head and put their faith in Christ to save them, they've done their part to get them in the baptistry water. And then they've done their part to disciple them and help them along. Boy, i got to tell you, I am so excited about our discipleship program. And a, a great first week this last Wednesday, and Pastor Morales was back there with a 30 or so of you. And uh, th- that's going to turn into a one-on-one discipleship here really soon. And that is part of going from a child in the Lord to a father in the Lord, and or, or, or an elder in the Lord, if you will, is walking through that process, being fruitful. Uh, uh, John 15 talks about uh, uh, being fruitful. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruits of the Spirit. Psalm 1, being that uh, tree planted by the river of righteousness that bringeth forth fruit in his season. We are called to be fruitful. Notice uh, the last step on the ladder here in this passage is the word fellowship. Fellowship. Go back with me at, to 1 John chapter number 2. I've given you a lot of information tonight. and I want to give you something that challenges your heart here at the end of the message. Look at verse 13 with me. I write unto you, fathers... Because ye have known him that is from the beginning. Look down at verse 14. Notice how that this same idea is repeated a second time. I have written unto you fathers because ye have known him that is from the beginning. Now, anytime the Bible is that repetitive, that close together, we better stop and take notice. There is something that is being communicated to us here. This isn't just being repeated just for a waste of space. The Lord is trying to tell us something here. So let's look closely at verses 13 and 14 and, and look at what it says here. Uh, now, uh, we saw in verse, uh, uh, deeper down in verse 13, uh, speaking of little children or little born ones, that they have known the Father. All right, That's different than uh, the fathers who have known Him that is from the beginning. Now, uh, if you've been here through the series of 1 John, 1 John chapter 1 verse 1 describes Jesus as being the one that is from the beginning. Notice that word there, known. Ye have known him. Ye have known him. Um, This is a deep intimacy. This is a closeness. This is a tight-knit bond with your Savior. The one from the beginning is the light of life. Now, remember, John is contrasting light-living from darkness living. You with me? You with me? You, you, everybody still awake tonight? Fathers have known him that is the light. Why? Because they have spent a Christian lifetime walking their life in the light. They have become familiar with him on a deep, deep, deep level. 
Turn over Romans chapter 5 for me, please. Romans chapter 5. Little children have an acquaintance with God as their father. Spiritual fathers grow so close to the Godhead that they don't just have a surface understanding. They have a deep fellowship with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at Romans chapter 5, look at verse number 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Why? Knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And patience experience. And experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. There will be two groups of people here this evening as I describe this. There will be those who have lived it and can think back to times in their life where they've been in these different stages. And then there will be those who are still young in the Lord and have not yet been there. I'll just say this. I'm not here to say you're wrong being in either camp. But to those of you that are young in the Lord, can I encourage you to keep walking forward? Now look at what he says here in Romans 5.3. He says that we glory in tribulations. Um, what is the mark of a seasoned Christian? They don't run from tribulations. They embrace tribulations. They glory in them. Boy, most Christians, when hardships come their way, oh, pray for me. I have this. And there's nothing wrong with asking for prayer. It's the spirit behind pray for me. It's a, I sure wish God wouldn't send this hardship in my life. I sure wish this wasn't coming into my life. Look at the process here. Tribulation brings what? It brings patience. And patience brings experience. I've gotten to a place in my Christian life where I can look behind me at some really hard times that God has put my wife and I through together, our family through together. And I can see how tribulation grew my patience. Amen? And now those, that patience has brought experiences. Those experiences are a testimony to a God who never fails. And that brings hope. When a hardship comes in our life now, you know what I do? I don't say, Lord, how are you going to come through this time? I say, Lord, how are you going to come through this time? Because there's a hope there. There's a hope there. And that hope sheds abroad a light. That light is being duplicated in my life. You see here that as we walk with the Lord, we walk in the light. Boy, he develops us to a place where we have a deep fellowship with him. Philippians chapter 3. Let's finish the message there this morning. Philippians 3, verse 13. I put down the wrong verse. I believe it's uh, chapter 3, verse 10. Look at verse 10. Here was Paul's wish. As he's sitting in a jail cell suffering, he says that I may know him. Lord, I know you. 
I've been walking with you. I've been serving you. I've been suffering for you. I want to know you more. I want that fellowship to be richer and sweeter than it's ever been. And Lord, no matter what it takes, deepen my relationship with you. I want to know you in every way. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to stand on Mount Tran- the Mount of Transfiguration with you. I want to see you uh, uh, at your best and brightest. I want to walk with that power. That power that resurrected you from the dead. Boy, I want that on my life. I want to preach with power. I want to live with power. I want your power dripping off of me. Boy, we all want the glory, don't we? And then the next part, he says, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering. The fellowship of his suffering. Christian, when was the last time you got down on your knees and you said, Lord, help me to suffer so I can understand your suffering for me that you went through on the cross? Lord, bring hardship in my life. Lord, uh, Allow me to be hurt so I can know you deeper. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't pray that prayer, but maybe I should start. Paul said, I want to know the Lord, even if it means I have to suffer. Whatever it takes, I want to know him more. I'll finish the sermon with this. If you're here this evening and you're a little one in Christ, a little born one, hey, embrace where you are. Don't look at a father and say, ah, I sure wish I was there. Embrace where you are and embrace the process to get there. But spend time, spend time with some of those in this room. If you're a young woman in here, Titus tells us that the older women are to teach the younger women how to be chaste, sober, keepers at home. Well, you get around the old, don't act like a know-it-all. You're in your 20s, you don't know everything. Get around some older women that have had the experiences and let them teach you. If you've only been saved a few months or a few years, get around some folks who are elders in the Lord and just let them rub off on you. Oh, it's not, it's not that you're worshiping them. It's that you're letting them lead you as you learn to grow. Christian, where are you on the, on the, on the ladder? Can I tell you that in different areas of my life, I'm at different steps. In some ways, I'm still a babe in the Lord. He's working on me. He's growing me. Other ways, I feel as though the Lord has led me to that elder position. And and, and I'm probably not in the elder position as much as I'm in the young man position. But as we identify where we are, may we work to overcome the wicked one. May we ingrain his word in our heart. And may we strive toward being an elder in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that this evening you'd help us to take the truths of 1 John 2. Help us to live in the light. To stay away from the darkness, to flush out the shadows and not have secret sins that thrive in these shadows. That we would live a lifestyle that's journeying with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, this evening to honor you, to live for you, and Lord, to grow in you. May we not plateau. May we not hit a point in our life where we just accept that we're okay. But Lord, may we press on the upward way. In Jesus' name.